Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, this is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Christian Roth of BD Diesel. I'm Braden Fleece, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Vinny Himes from Leadfoot Diesel Performance. He had joined us a few years back, I think it was late 2019, to give us an insight into what shop owners are facing as it pertains to an EPA visit. So I wanted to sit down with him a couple years later and ask him how that process went, how it's changed their business, his thoughts on you know, running um, a business, building trucks within the framework, and what he thinks the future is as it pertains to modifying diesel trucks, upgrading them, and just get his thoughts on, on the whole process. So it's gonna be a, a really interesting conversation. Before we get to it, we wanna remind you guys to save 20% off if you're in the market for a knife for hunting, fishing, everyday carry, anything in between. Kershaw Knives is offering 20% off to our listeners. Just use code diesel20. Just go to kershaw.kiausa.com enter any products that you want into your cart when you're going through checkout, put in diesel 20, it'll knock off 20% right there for you and you're all set. All right, let's get to today's episode with Vinny Himes and getting an update on EPA emissions, EPA visits, and what his thoughts are for the future of diesel performance. Vinny, welcome back to the diesel podcast. It's been a, a couple of years since we chatted last on uh, the episode where you were telling us what, you know, shops are facing with, um, EPA or emissions and the whole world has changed dramatically in the last two years. So thought it'd be a great time to chat, kind of update it and see you know, what you've been up to, what, uh, what your thoughts are with the state of diesel and emissions and upgrading trucks. My thoughts. <laughs> um, no, I mean, his hat was made for us by a friend. That's pretty funny. Uh, no, I mean, the EPA has been a real blessing to us and, um, uh, you know, it sucks for uh, diesel performance. It sucks for the competition world. Uh, I hate it for guys like uh, Ryan Milliken, Corey Willis. You know, they're they're uh, really passionate about the racing side of the scene. And for us, you know, the sled pulling has always been our uh, claim to fame. That's that's what keeps Leadfoot Diesel on the map. That's what we're known for. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's definitely taken an effect on that. Um, I would say our competition builds have come to a stop um but they've completely wiped out anything that i would have ever considered competition in our area uh, all the shops that thrived on just doing deletes are gone so it's really cleaned up the industry down here and um uh, for the better honestly in a way as uh, much as i don't like the government or three-letter agencies telling me what i can and can't do with my personal property uh, they've weeded out the trash. They've weeded out the guys that didn't know how to diagnose. They've weeded out the guys that didn't know, didn't care about diesel repair. And so we've really thrived. Uh, we've absorbed probably 10 different shops that used to be our quote unquote competitors. Um, they were just stealing work for us from us. Um, you know, we'd give a customer an estimate. They'd run down, run around town and show it to five different people. Whoever gave them the lowest bid, get the work that's over 
Um, so we're really thriving. We're more profitable than we've ever been. You know, that's, it's kind of funny. Like people are like, Oh, you know, the customers will call into the shop. Do you guys do the leads? And the flat out answer is no. Um, Oh, that must be killing you guys. No, no, it's, we're making more money than we've ever made because where we were selling a $450 MBRP exhaust and making $45 profit, we're now selling a $3,200 diesel particulate filter at dealership margins, not diesel performance margins. As you know, having worked where you've worked in the past, margins in our industry is 20% is the, uh, that's okay for some reason. And when you're buying parts from the dealership, all of a sudden you're making 35, 40, 50% profit margin. So no, it's not killing us. It's, it's grown our business. If anything, I still hate it. I, uh, I would rather be working in 20% profit margins to not have a government agency telling us what we can and can't do to our vehicles. Um, so that part of it, I hate, but we're killing it. Um, you know, making lemonade, lemonade out of lemons. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, the, the performance stuff we just have to be careful on and, and play by the current rules as much as we can, which I don't really know what those are. They're just made up. You know, I asked a lot of questions when we were visited by the EPA and I got, uh, exactly zero answers and I wasn't being a smart ass. I wasn't being rude. I wasn't being condescending. I was very curious you know, to have a government agent tell me what I can and can't do in our place of business. And then when I questioned very varying aspects of that, the agents could not answer a single question asked. And that's very frustrating. Um, you know, if I ask a police officer if I can jaywalk, the simple answer is no. If I ask him if I can drink and drive, the simple answer is keep it under the limit. If I ask if I can go speeding on a public roadway, the simple answer is no. And, you know, we get those answers every day of our lives from various agencies that are put in place to uphold uh, orderly society, except for when it comes to the EPA, you ask questions and you get varying answers of I'll get back to you or I don't have that information right now. And that's frustrating, you know, to have someone tell you what you can and can't do, but they can't answer the questions that you, the honest questions that you push back to them is uh, just asinine to me. I don't even understand how that exists in this country. Well, I remember when we chatted before, <clears throat> you had talked about that a little bit. And <clears throat> I remember afterwards I was thinking maybe that's intentional or by design that it's so fluid or there's, there's really no, that there's no set rules. And I think that, Maybe back then it was, well, it was different. I think that was 2019, late 2019. Yeah. And you think about it now, like you had mentioned with other shops and competition, I think it's just the pressure has forced businesses and people to either evolve or, or they don't. And we've seen a lot of places that used to be around aren't anymore because they didn't evolve. And so I wanted to ask you about that a little bit as far as business is, as we got a lot of shop owners that listen, new guys, you know, they've just gotten into it. How did you look at the ability to, or the opportunity to evolve? Um, not just you, but the company as well, you know, with something as major as this, which it, it did like a 180 almost with oh, a yeah. lot of, a lot of diesel performance. It was, uh, it was immediate. Um, it was, you know, 
they had uh, barely walked out of our showroom and already, you know, the wheels were turning. And uh, what we filled that, you know, two things, like I already mentioned, we filled that gap with actual repair, actual diagnosis of the problem. Yes, we all know that the diesel particulate filter clogs up. Why? So we started studying the science of the diesel particulate filter and what the problem areas. We started studying the science of the urea injection system and, and what problems arose and how we could address them proactively and, and educate our customers. I think that's the biggest thing was the immediate education of the customer base. You know, it was such commonplace. And that was frustrating for the first 18 months after, you know, we quit doing any form of deletes long before we were visited. But the big thing that was enforced upon us when we were visited was just the overall performance aspect as a whole, like with some great and ungodly sin. And so that affected us a lot more than the delete crap. Um, the delete stuff was easy to get out of, you know, you just sell the customer fast. It helps atomize the fuel better, helps cut down on soot buildup. Um, get them some good clean tunes, which was something that Corey was really focusing and emphasizing even before we were visiting, visited. And so we just kind of started re-educating the customer into, yeah, you can kind of, you, you can have your performance, but you got to do it right. You can't do deletes. Well, then the EPA comes into our place of business and says, you can't do anything performance related. And uh, when I showed them a program with a carb EO number on the box, they were flabbergasted. They didn't even understand how that was possible. So that kind of changed massively where we were. I mean, it got to the point, you know, I would say the six months, eight months after the EPA would walk in our showroom, we didn't sell anything performance related. Um, I would, it was questionable amongst, you know, those of us at the shop that make these kind of decisions, you know, three or four of us there. And, and we were even questioning each other and, and actually kind of getting into little quarrels. You know, my point was my standpoint on it was, well, if premier was the first major place to get busted and they've been very, very closely watched, I would assume that anything we can order from premier performance would be legit and okay to sell. Right. Well, two people in the business that also make those decisions and yay or nay those decisions disagree. Um, after reading the piece of paper with us that was stuffed in our face, they took it very literally as we can't do anything that alters the way the vehicle ran from the factory. So all we can do is put OEM parts back on. So we went very literal. Um, I don't know why I think everybody was just scared at the beginning. And, uh, you know, the more and more shops get busted, the more and more crazy rumors and nightmares you hear, you know, where people are, I've heard agents told shop owners that if they put the wrong spark plug in a lawnmower, that was a punishable uh, offense that could be tied to a fine. Um, I've heard things as crazy as if you modify the spark arrestor on a chainsaw, you've broken federal law. And it's all rumors and hearsay because none of us really knows the law. The law that I was, that was crammed down our throat. When I, when they came, I knew nothing. I was ignorant. Um, I had an idea of what was okay and what obviously wasn't. 
but I was very ignorant as to what they were actually enforcing. And then once I understood what they were enforcing and I really started studying it, uh, it made absolutely no sense. You know, I felt for a minute, like maybe we had done something wrong. I, there was maybe a night or two of guilt. I have a very, very, very guilty conscience. I don't want to do anything wrong. I never have my whole life. And there was actually a couple of nights of guilt where I was kind of like, man, I kind of knew better and I did it anyways. But then I think back to the whole law enforcement aspect of it, you know, these diesel shops are going out of businesses. These families are falling apart because of this branch of the government that's enforcing this law that was written in 1963. Where have they been for the last 50 years? They're definitely not enforcing this law. You know, people are running it around. I mean, our country's built off drag racing and, and circle track racing and dirt track racing and drag racing. And it's just all these racing companies, you know, it's, it's a $20 billion industry a year in this country of modifying motor vehicles to go fast and race. And now all of a sudden we're being told that there's no such thing as a legal race car. That's just, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. That just don't get it. It doesn't happen anywhere else. You know what I mean? We all know that we can't have a fully automatic machine gun mounted in the bed of our truck. You can, you know, you go through certain avenues and get certain licenses and tiptoe across the red tape and through it and under it and around it. You can have a fully automatic machine gun mounted in the bed of your truck. How many do you see? because it's it's very hard to accomplish. Yet, you could go into any O'Reilly's Auto Parts and buy a modified high-flow intake for your Honda Civic for $39.99. So it's a sin, but it's not being enforced. It's not, you know... When I, when I asked the field agent that was doing all the talking, he asked me if I understood the law and how it pertained to our business, and I straight up honest with him, I don't know, Jack, did we squat about law you know most of it i've never broken i've never had a reason to know it and so when he finally laid it out and i tried to read it it wasn't even in english and i explained that you know i made that very clear i can't even understand this like how am i supposed to follow something that you've worded so stupidly that it doesn't even make sense you know on a college level reading level i still can't decipher this mumbo jumbo it's so nonsensical and so then he gives me his interpretation in, in his version of layman terms. And I was exact words was anything that modifies the way the vehicle runs from the day it leaves the factory is illegal to sell, offer to sell, install or purchase. Well, that's very easy to understand. And I'm looking around the showroom floor and I'm like, 40 inch tires are illegal now. You know, a modified air filter is illegal now. Everything's illegal, yet it's still so easy to consume. It's still yeah. so easy to get and it's still so easy to install in our driveways. Like you have to, you have to enforce the entire aspect of the law or none of it, I feel. And that's not been made clear to us. Um, I feel like we're, as you kind of mentioned in the beginning, we're being entrapped. Like this has been designed for a whole bunch of people to fall in this massive pit. And then they just go through with a mulching head and just grind us up. And there's nothing you can do about it. Cause you're already guilty. How do you, how do you see, you, you know, you'd mentioned educating the customer and when I read conversations or, you know, see discussions on social media about 
and I just got this 2017 or 2019 or 2010, what should I do to it? And you see a lot of you know, truck owners or end users, you know, it's always the same recommendations of delete, do this, do that. But the pressure, and I think the fines and, you know, even criminal charges for some people, yeah. they're very much focused on the manufacturing and the selling of it. <clears throat> so it's almost choked out at the point of supply where, you know, it wasn't like it was at one point in time. How do you combat that or help educate somebody who, you know, calls or walks in and says, oh, I just want to delete this 6.7 or this this Duramax or, you know, this Power Stroke when everything so, that they read is telling them do it. And you can find you know, 10 years of posts on forums that say do X, Y, Z. Well, I mean, there's a lot of forums out there for pot smokers and Coke dealers too. <laughs> I mean, you know, how many, how many times you've been in a uh, comp D and hear somebody joking about smoking Coke off a of hooker's hip bones after a drag race, you know, I mean, it's illegal stuff happens out there all the time. And, and that's, what's funny in this aspect to me, it's, it's comical because, we're being treated that bad. We're being treated like the Coke dealer, the drug dealer, the, you know, the dirty guy slinging dope in the back alleys. Like that's what the EPA is treating us like yet. Nothing we do has ever harmed a human being's life or put somebody in danger. Um, you know, it's not like you, uh, if you go park your, your, uh, Vespa scooter in the garage, overnight with the door closed and spend the night with it out there you're gonna wake up in the morning dead but if you spend the evening in the garage with a deleted diesel truck idling all night you're gonna have a hell of a headache but you'll be all right and uh that's just the stupidity of it um that's where it just makes me even more frustrated because they're making these diesel trucks out to be this demonic being that's just killing the earth and we're literally at a scientific molecular level expelling plant food out of our trucks. So all that's very, very frustrating. And then I've read, you know, since being visited, I've gotten very sarcastically curious about all this. And so I've done a lot of research into things like what's coming out of a diesel particulate filter or a truck equipped with a NOx filter. And uh, it's dangerous. Like it's, they've created poison. So when you take a diesel particulate filter and you trap it in an environment and then you introduce it to heat and death and all these other things, what's physically coming out of the tailpipe is little tiny microscopic molecules that embed in the sacs in our lungs and can become infected and can literally diminish lung capacity over periods of time. So we took something fairly harmless and we've, you know, as a nation, as a, a world of engineers and designers and we think we've done something good and we've created poison pumps running up and down the interstates and it's our kids, kids, they're going to find out about it. You know, the new super rare cancers that never existed before 2007. And now we've got all these people that are going to be dying in their thirties and forties from inhaling spent exhaust gases that went through a diesel particulate filter versus our generation that had a little soot under our eye after a dino event, but we're all fine. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's tough when you, you look at all the different sides and what you've talked about with us on the podcast over the years is extremely helpful because I'm not on that side and, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it and a lot of us don't. And so I always like to be able to bridge the different parts of the diesel community and especially for the truck owners out there to really see or understand the kind of pressures that are out there and and the things that have happened and how many business models have changed. Um, how many companies aren't around or they've gone a completely different direction. It's not, it's not necessarily because they think, Hey, I completely agree with, um, these rules or regulations. It's because I have to survive. I have a family to support. I've got to do things within this framework. And one of the things you touched on, I wanted to get your opinion, is you talked about race vehicles. What do you think about the RPM Act as, I guess, as it stands, but then also how the diesel community has talked about it? Um, I, I'm really curious what you think about trying to get so, that act passed. I think that act is important. Um, I think that protects the shops that thrive on turning out two or three drag, you know, like King Speed, uh, uh, LeVon and his crew, you know, uh, JD Performance Machine, all those guys, those are real racers. You know, those guys are turning out race vehicles. That's what they specialize in. It's going to save those guys. But it's the same as the hot rod gas world. Um, what happens to the guys that want to go down to Jags after work and grab a high-rise intake for their muscle car? You know, and SEMA took care of all those guys and those guys are still protected and they're still modifying those big block Chevys and creating tons of pollution. And nobody cares because it's, you know, it's a muscle car. It's okay somehow. It's it's just the diesels that are being crucified right now. And that's frustrating because there's guys no different than your grandfather that wanted to build a 72 Chevelle in his garage that want to build a 12-valve Cummins in their garage now. I mean, these are the new muscle cars of our time. And we're not allowed to, and we're sinners and we're criminals. So, you know, back to educating the customer, it's, it's, I'm kind of a blatant, sarcastic, smart ass about it. When I'm talking to these people, you know, I try to make them see how silly it is and encourage them to get with their state representatives. Like, like they walk into the shop. Yeah. I want to delete this 19 F250. Oh man, you can't do that. But I grab you ass Coke out of the back real quick if you want. What do you mean? Well, it's a criminal. It's a federal crime. It's a $20,000 fine, but I can sell you some Coke and spend a night in the county pen and get a free meal. You know, I'd rather do that. And you kind of get them laughing about it, but you very quickly get them to realize that this is not, it's not a joke anymore. Like they can impound your vehicle on the side of the street if you get the wrong highway patrolman that knows what he's talking about. So, you know, that's how I try to educate people is, is, Hey, look, here's a super stupid, ridiculous law that says you can't do what you want with this $90,000 vehicle you just purchased. But, uh, you know, we can go share a line of Coke in the bathroom and nobody's going to get in any kind of real trouble. It's that ridiculous. It's, and, you know, so then I, I have the conversation with the customer that, you know, we can still upgrade it. You know, it's like dealing with the mob. We either have to upgrade your truck and potentially it could be impounded and and you could be sitting on the side of the interstate in handcuffs and facing a $20,000 fine because you chose to modify your vehicle, or we can pay the mob these fees to get these carb EO certification numbers, which is exactly what they are. They're mob fees. 
and they won't break our knees with a baseball bat. And then we can get you a cold air intake that's manufactured in California with a Carbio certification on it. We can purchase a programmer made by Gail Banks that's got a Carbio certification number on it because he paid the mob. And so it just you just keep piling on the stupidity and you keep piling on the sarcasm. It's pathetic what we're all kind of sitting in the corner chewing our fingernails and shaking from, you know, so many shop owners as they got busted and, and caught and whatever uh, confronted. I don't even want to call it busted or caught because that's not even a reality as this strong arm of the uncontrolled law opens the doors of these diesel shops and everybody cowers in fear. That's not how I look at it. I look at it as you idiots haven't done your job for 50 years. And now you're coming here busting everybody's balls when you let them fall into this pit of entrapment. And I think that's how more people need to look at it and stop hiding behind their computers and hiding behind their cell phones and having what they think are secret conversations. They hear and see everything. Uh, when they showed up at our office, they had screenshots for five years of people tagging us on Facebook to recommend us for deletes. Luckily, I had replied to every single one of them and said, that's illegal. We don't do that here all the way back to 2015. And so it didn't stick. They had nothing to throw at the wall. And that's why I think we got a pretty soft visit and, uh, and it resolved very quickly and, and quietly on their part because they didn't have anything. Now, if they did have something, there'd have been, you know, the front page articles in the news, there'd have been big, posts on the EPA's website, like Corey's case and, and all the other ones that they used as uh, proverbial deer heads on the wall, their trophies, so to speak. But those guys were all sitting there quivering in their boots, scared to death of the government. And my favorite analogy is where the, all the little fish, you know, my favorite meme is where all the little fish take shape of a giant shark and scare the shark away. When are we going to turn into a giant shark? Do you think getting involved in politics and I know Corey and some other people have gotten involved, you know, on, on that side of it. Do you think that is something that really needs to be done to be able to create change or affect the policies that are happening? Cause my perception is I never in automotive or racing, I never really saw politics involved in it. And then over the years with what's gone on with emissions and uh, enforcement of it in these regulations or rules is it's almost necessitating it. Um, and so you know, to me, I think almost maybe that's the next frontier is how do you get in touch with the representatives? How do you create awareness and education so that the people who do make law, the people who do vote on it understand that? Um, one of our congressmen here in the state of Georgia, Jody Heiss, really good guy. He lives right here in our town. Um, his son's had a truck at our shop. You know, there's, there's, I don't know if it's his son, but maybe his secretary's son. Somehow, some of their immediate uh, people that work directly with him in his office have had vehicles at our shop. And so right away, uh, I'm sure you remember the infamous letter that I wrote to Mike Braun asking for help that got ignored. And then, you know, my boss was threatened to fire me in the middle of the night and um, it fell on deaf ears and we got no help from it. So 
I went more local. Um, Mike Braun's the head of the Clean Air Board, so I figured go straight to the man. And he also owns Meyer Distributing, where we were purchasing a lot of very illegal devices from that I found out after I found out they were illegal. So I went straight to him for help and that went nowhere. So then I figured we'll stick local. So I contacted Jody Heiss's office and, and uh, found out the people that worked with him there. It's all public information. You can look all this stuff up. And so I went through our customers and found some customers that are acquaintances or married to or sons and daughters of these local representatives that are representing us. And I just started emailing them and letting them all know that they were criminals for having done certain business with us and asked them how they thought that felt. You know, uh, you're a, you're a public figure, you're a voted official in this County and the federal government is now saying that because you paid us for certain services, you are a criminal. And I got immediate response from that. Um, but it's going to, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts, you know, five emails from me went nowhere. Uh, it did. I received an email back saying that they were going to do an investigation into the, the field office of the EPA that sent the agents to our shop for government bullying. Um, I explained how our visit went. I explained how the agents, uh, mannerisms and the things that he said were very snarky and rude. I explained that he refused to answer questions. I explained that there were questions asked of him that he could not answer, yet he was somehow enforcing this stuff on us. And so supposedly they did a, a, an investigation of government bullying into that field office. We never heard anything from the EPA again. So whether that was a direct effect of that, who cares? All the other shops around us still went out of business for the same government bullying. So did it save our skin? Maybe so. Um, did it put a big giant target on our back that shows up four years from now because we embarrassed somebody? Maybe so. I don't know. You know, the government's so freaking corrupt. I don't understand how they work. I know they never lose. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just sketchy. You know, it's the, the funny joke around here is that I'm going to eventually have an unfortunate boating accident in my bathtub because I talk about it too much, but I'm not afraid of dying. I, never been afraid of dying. If they want to off me for talking about how corrupt the government is, they maybe need to clean their act up. Do you think with the, the changes that have happened as far as what you can do to a newer truck, like you mentioned carbios and, and testing and, and things like that, as far as for the performance enthusiast, do you think it's drastically changed the I guess the word would be like allure or the enticement of having a diesel truck. Like if you think back to the early 2000s, mid 2000s, there were tons of magazines and videos to be able to watch to see what this five, nine can do or this Duramax or whatever it might be. Is that, do you sense that people still feel that way about a, a newer truck when they can do, you know, some of the upgrades that are out there for them now, or is it more about efficiency, longevity? I'm really curious it, it, about that. It totally. There's a, there's a cult following that's never going to go away. It's the, uh, it's the kids coming into high school, getting their driver's license. They just got grandpa's old truck. They still want to soup it up. And I still feel even, even with the understanding of the laws it is and whatever, and all the BS, I'm still not afraid to grind a fuel plate and adjust a, a star wheel here and there for the high school kids, you know, but, um, once again, they're not properly enforcing the law. So if they understood how the law 
that they're enforcing work, they should be making sure that every single 12 valve that comes through the DMV has tamper-proof paint on top of the AFC screws still. Um, but it's too hard. They don't want to do their job. They're going after the easy, low-hanging fruit, and they're not going, they're not enforcing the law that they're trying to enforce. So there is still a lot of enthusiasm here, especially locally here. I mean, we're, you can't, park in a gas station parking lot or run over to Publix to grab a steak without some high school kid, you know, popping on the shoulder. Hey man, you work at Leadfoot? And it's like, yeah, I work at Leadfoot. Oh, are you Vinny? Yeah, I'm Vinny. Oh, I follow you on Facebook. So it's still very much, there is a lot of excitement out there. Uh, there still are those kids that are excited to soup up grandpa's old truck. Um, it's just the older crowd that I see backing off. It's the, uh, the family men, the guys that are, hooking up to the RV camper and going camping for the weekend with the kids. You know, they were coming in and getting a cold air intake tuner and exhaust so they could get over the mountain with 17, 18 miles to the gallon towing. Now they just want a set of airbags so it doesn't squat in the rear. And that's frustrating. Not because we're not making that money. We're still making the money. We're not selling the intake tuner and exhaust. We're selling the airbags and the upgraded bump stops and the heavier rated tires and the hitches. I mean, we've moved things around to keep the profits coming in and, and keeping the company more profitable than anything. But it is frustrating to not be able to see that look on a customer's face. You know, when, when you have a customer that's owned a truck for two, three years, they're trying to ride that warranty out. And the warranty's finally gone. And then they come in, they're like, I'm ready to do it, man. I want the intake, the tuner, the exhaust. And then you hand them the keys and they drive the truck and they come right back to the shop, like just the most gigantic shit-eating grin on their face. That was the reward. Screw the profits, screw the money, screw the business. That was the reward. That was what got us all excited to go to work every day. You know, that was the stories we talked about after hours when the doors were getting locked. You know, it was, man, did you see the look on Fred's face when he punched the throttle on that thing the first time? Oh my gosh, he's never going to get that feeling again. He's addicted. Yeah. That's gone. <laughs> it's gone. So that's frustrating um, because that's what brought excitement to the job. That's what made you want to get up every day. That's what made dealing with the crappy douchebag customers worth it uh, was just that one smile that you get a week or two smiles a week and and it's very frustrating not to be able to see that anymore. Um, not on the level that we did. We still see it from time to time. You know, you still get the, there's a, a movement that's starting to really become prevalent uh, this year. And it's the number of old trucks that are getting revived. I mean, yeah. totally revived. Like two years ago if somebody brought a six liter into the shop with 500,000 miles on it and you told them it needed head gaskets the response was chat i'll go get a new truck and delete it and i'll have something faster better better fuel economy all kinds of fun buttons and video cameras and screens not anymore you know now you tell them that their brand new truck's got a clogged up diesel particulate filter and it's four thousand dollars to replace it they're going out in the woods and they're finding these old dilapidated trucks that the rats have chewed up and they're dragging them into the shop. And they're like, here's $45,000. What will that get me? That's pretty cool. So there's a, uh, a common misconception across America because the EPA is doing such a shitty job at their job that it's okay to modify a truck prior to 07. In reality, it's not, you know, the law specifically states that you can't modify any motor vehicle 
in the country from the way it came off the showroom floor, but due to their shitty education of the common man that owns a diesel truck, everybody's just dragging these trucks out of the woods that were neglected and forgot about. And they're now bringing these things back to life and really bringing them back to life. Uh, full custom interior swaps. I mean, you can, a 99 super duty cab didn't change until 2017. So you can go buy a, a totaled out 16 King ranch and swap that interior into a 2005 XLT. And now you got King ranch amenities from 2015 in a 10 year old or 15 year old truck. So we're starting to see a lot of that, a lot of, of uh, restoration builds, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I've definitely seen that on, uh, on social media, I even done a few episodes <clears throat> about it is, you know, guys with newer trucks and they, you know, sell them and, that, you know, they want to go back to something older, simpler, um, things that they feel more confident in, you know, as far as being able to either put a ton of miles on it or just make it how they want. And I think that's what I hope to see somehow. I definitely don't have the answers, but see the aftermarket, be able to bring that smile back to people's face. You know, I remember myself or seeing people the first time they got that compound turbo set and, you know, twin CP3 kit and the built transmission and they're just it's like we become kids again in a way. And so it's like all these newer trucks, you just want to be able to see people be able to do that with whatever products, whatever the aftermarket's able to develop within the framework that they're having to operate in is my hope for it. But I, I know that takes time and engineering and, you know, a lot of R and D to do that. It is. And there's a few companies that are really shining on the forefront of that. You know, I, I see, uh, ATS diesel, BD diesel, those guys have been around forever. And it's really cool to see that they're not letting this take them down. Uh, it's, it was a little frustrating there. 2020, 2021. Um, I just started literally just watching some of my favorite part numbers that I just absolutely love to sell dropping off the face of the earth one at a time. And in the back of your mind, you know, common sense, you knew exactly why it was disappearing. You didn't want to say it out loud. Nobody wanted to talk about it, but uh, I'm seeing now, you know, like one of my favorite things ever to sell was the BD diesel manifolds and up pipes for the six, four power stroke. And uh, every time you install a set, you know, 90, 99% of these trucks are coming in deleted already. So it was like, we weren't breaking any law selling them this upgrade to get rid of the very faulty factory up pipes that split out. And, you know, you could get them into a set of high flow, highly efficient exhaust manifolds and up pipes for the same price as the factory Ford up pipes. And every time we installed a set of those, the customer would call us back like, Hey, I just picked my truck up. Uh, something seriously wrong. It's got like way better throttle response. And it's got, you know, I'm getting two to three miles to the gallon better than I was before. And it's mainly because they, a lot of different things, but they're so much more efficient than the factory units. And so this isn't, these weren't sales pitches that we were sending people. It was, Hey, my truck's got a loud ticking noise and a squeal under throttle. Uh, it needs manifolds and up pipes. So we put them on and then the customer's calling us back raving about what an amazing thing we just did to their truck with only the intention of fixing an exhaust leak. So to see those disappear off BD's website was frustrating. Um, they brought them back. So they're, they're back now with EGR provision. So the same high flow design, it repositions the EBP sensor so that it doesn't clog up with soot like the factory location does. Just a ton of great engineering and, and development went into this product. 
So it was gone for two years. It's back. It's Carbio certified now. It's legal to sell it in all 50 states, including California, believe it or not. So it, it's happening and uh, it's going to take us getting over the uh, butt-heartedness of the EPA pooping on our parade and just starting to innovate and do what we did back in the day before we knew any of this stuff. So we did it once. We'll do it again. We'll come back bigger, better, stronger. Uh, we just need the manufacturers to hurry up and do it for us because we're just a shop at the end of the day. We're not building parts. You know, all I can do is recommend the parts that I've come to love and appreciate from some really awesome manufacturers. Um, and I understand, you know, it's, you're dealing with the government, so nothing happens fast, you know, to generate one carbio number is months and months of testing and paperwork and red tape and bullshit. And, and, uh, you finally get it. Now you got to go back into R and D and you got to get the manufacturing process started. So it's a slow evolution. I feel like it's been happening quietly in, in the background for the last five years. And we're just now starting to see some of the benefits coming out on the market. Well, you're on the topic of parts. I was just thinking of a, a question I got recently. <clears throat> there was a, a guy doesn't have a diesel truck now. Um, I don't know if he's had him in the past, but he wanted to get back into him. And he was asking specifically about the Duramax platform. So I think he's a GM guy. And he wanted me to ask one of our guests, and you'd be perfect for this because you've been doing this for a really long time, is, you know, if I get a Duramax, what are some things I need to do to make it reliable so they're not they're not looking to build a race truck or anything but i know it varies a little bit based on the year range but what are like three things you would tell somebody they're set on buying a duramax they find the one they want but they need to do this stuff to give it the best chance to have least amount of maintenance least amount of you know headaches that's a it's a fantastic question and it's one that i get asked daily five times a day we do a lot of duramax work we've got one of you know, I've been around, I've met a lot of great Duramax guys, um, Cam out there in Idaho. I, I really respect that dude. I think he's probably one of the most ethical human beings I've ever met in my life. And he runs a great shop and he's strictly Duramax. You know, I was when I was hanging out back then, um, Cam Hulse from Adrenaline Trucks. He's, uh, he taught me a lot about Duramaxes. I really didn't like them. You know, I started out turning wrenches and uh, working on 5.9 Cummins, loved it. You know, uh, 6.0 comes through, slam injectors in it, a couple hours, not a big deal. 7.3, a couple hours, not a big deal. And then I remember my first LB7 Duramax that I worked on. And I literally had to call the snap-on guy. I was like, get your raggedy dump truck down here. I need about 50 new tools to work on this <laughs> giant bag of dicks. I hated it. I hated a Duramax. I swore I'd never own one. It is the worst diesel engine to work on from a, a mechanic standpoint, as far as what tools you have to have, the amount of time invested. You know, the first time I found out you could sell 10 hours labor on an injector job, I was like, I, I was like waiting for Ashton Kutcher to jump out from behind my dumpster and tell me I was on punk. Like, are you freaking kidding me? 10 hours to put injectors in a truck? And so, you know, it's, I spent four or five years hating them. And then I met Chad Hall from Alligator and uh, started working on his truck while I was at CN Diesel Performance. And uh, I put a fast on Chad's truck. We did some uh, Caltrax traction bars on it and we did some amp steps. And I just remember, I, I remember looking for the factory lift pump 
uh, fuse in the fuse box to figure out where to tie the fast into. And I was like, that's when I realized, you know, this is early on. I've only been messing with diesels for a short period of time at this point. And, uh, well, I've been messing with them for a long time, but I started out on 12 valves and seven threes. You know, you put a common rail in front of me and all of a sudden it's Japanese, no pun intended. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here looking at this Japanese diesel engine and trying to figure out where the lift pump's at. And I'm like, what a bunch of cocky pricks to think that they don't need a lift pump. Like every other diesel on the planet has a lift pump. My diesel lawnmower has a freaking lift pump and Duramaxes don't have one. So the first and foremost important thing that I recommend to every Duramax owner is put an aftermarket fuel pump of some sort on it. You know, whether it's a fleece pump or an air dog or a fast or what have you, uh, it's a good product. You know, as long as it's moving fuel from the tank to the engine compartment, I don't really care what brand name or stickers on it. Fast is my personal favorite. Um, I've been selling them for 15 years and I've never warranted one. And that's the truth. Um, so, you know, if you, if you get a Duramax truck, I don't care what year, what vintage it is. Um, the L5Ps, they finally put a lift pump on them. We're already replacing them. They've only been out for a couple of years and they're already failing. So unfortunately fast, you know, to do a fast on an L5P, you've got to have a tuned truck, which makes it a hard thing to sell right now. But for anything uh, LB7 to LML, LML, put a fast on it. That should be the first thing you do when you own a Duramax. And I don't care if you ever put a programmer on it. I don't care if you never hook a trailer to it. Just do it for the uh, simple insurance policy to save you four or $5,000 on an injector job. Um, the second thing I usually recommend on Duramaxes is uh, after the lift pump's been done, put some kind of a cold air intake on it and... Uh, take advantage of that fuel economy. You know, it's not a huge jump, but they all respond well. Uh, five, nine Cummins, you could drive the thing for a million miles with a factory air filter and it's going to do just fine. But the Duramax has seemed to struggle with that factory air filter. I've got three trucks at the shop right now, all Duramaxes with heavily destroyed compressor wheels and a turbo because as the air the factory air filter becomes restricted, it pulls the compressor wheel forward in the housing until it makes contact and it just sits there and slowly eats itself. It doesn't catastrophically explode. So you don't know that you've got a problem. And so what happens is the customer becomes accustomed to piss poor performance and piss poor fuel economy. And it's okay because it happens slowly. So they come in and they're like, well, you know, this thing, it's a, it's got a check engine light for the mass airflow sensor and it's just been slowly losing performance over the last five years. And I don't know why. And we pull the thing apart and the factory air filters completely sucked into a horseshoe shape halfway up into the intake tube. And it's been sucking dirt around the edges of it because it's not sealing properly. So they really do benefit where most diesels don't. A Duramax truly does benefit from a high flow uh, cold air intake. So that would be the second thing I would recommend just for turbo longevity. Uh, there is a little performance gain there, a little bit of fuel economy gain, a whole bunch of a fuel economy gain if you look at it over the course of years, because as that turbo eats dirt and tears itself apart, it's not efficiently moving and compressing air anymore. And so you're just slowly, you know, you go from 18 miles of the gallon brand new to 12 and a half, five years down the road. And that loss over five years massive. I mean, you could have put a kid through college. So a uh, fast first, cold air intake second, 
And uh, the third thing I would have to say isn't that cool, but uh, aftermarket intercooler pipes, uh, just plastic intercooler pipes don't work. They don't live, they crack, they split, they create boost leaks. Uh, we just had a customer's truck brought into the shop that's been at the dealership for six weeks. He spent $5,400 trying to fix this issue that the dealership couldn't diagnose properly. And so they started shotgunning parts at the truck. And uh, again, it was an LML Duramax plastic intercooler pipe on the, on the passenger side. It's got a wire clip that acts like a snap ring. So as you push it over the intake inlet, it expands and then it clicks into a groove. His had blown out as the spring had weakened. And when you shut the engine off, as the turbo winds down, it would suck the pipe back to that inlet, that aluminum inlet. And so it looked fine. Well, when our mechanic went to look at it, he saw all these air airflow codes. He went over there and pulled on it and it was loose, pushed on it, it clicked, cleared the codes, drove the truck, the truck was fixed. So <coughs> $5,400 wasted at the dealership over a plastic intercooler pipe, that's a pretty good upgrade. Yeah. Um, and definitely one I would recommend. That's uh, that's some good advice. And, and there are things that people can do you know, relatively easily. You know, I, I know the fuel system might take a little bit of time, but, you know, those are things that you just get a truck, you know, you do the maintenance on it, change the oil, you know, do, do any things you got to do. And then here's these three things that, that can help with with longevity, which I think is what people really want, especially right now when, or well, for a while where new trucks are very expensive. They might not be in stock. Um, might have to wait forever if you order one. And so they're looking towards, you know, something maybe three, four, five, six years old. And, you know, they all have weak points. I'll have things to fix. So I know oh, yeah. that our listeners definitely going to appreciate you answering that. And it's always great to chat with you about, uh, you know, what you guys are, are seeing there at the, at the shop and trends and, and things like that. And I wanted to update that episode we did a few years back because it was, it was uh, wildly popular. People haven't listened to it. I encourage you to go back on the Diesel Podcasts on YouTube or any, any of the apps and, and listen to what Vinny had to say, but it's good to see that you guys have uh, thrived and evolved and, you know, we're doing well out there and, and, and staying busy and keeping trucks running. Absolutely, man. We appreciate being on. Don't forget diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kiausa.com. Use code diesel 20 for 20% off site-wide. So no matter what you're looking at, you can save 20%. Really appreciate Kershaw offering that for our listeners and subscribers, be able to save some money for a knife that they might need for hunting, fishing, everyday carry, anything in between. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters. Caleb, Texas Diesel Supply, Wrights Diesel Services, Tyler Lowen of 23 Diesel. We appreciate their support helping us grow. Also, all of our other Patreons, our subscribers on YouTube, all the podcast apps, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all that you guys have done for us, not just now, but going back to 2016 when we first started. Didn't have a clue what we were doing. We're just trying to bring you guys stories. And so your recommendations, guest suggestions, your encouragement has really kept us going throughout the years. We appreciate that and look forward to giving you guys even more insight into diesel, giving you guys more technical information and the things that you guys want to hear. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.